Hi, I'm Aubrey Charette. Thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast for Harrisonburg Nazarene Church. Please subscribe for updates and new episodes to this podcast. Also, you can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Join us each Sunday at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Facebook Live. Be sure to like or follow our page while you're there. I'd like you to think of a time in your life when God said no to your prayers. Think of a time when you prayed in his name, you prayed desperately, you prayed needing him, and he said no. For me, I thought of several times when I asked God for something, and the answer was, was no. Uh, several years ago, I had uh, severe double ear infections, and there was a great deal of pain and reduced hearing and ringing in my ears. And I remember praying. I remember vividly praying. I didn't know if I could carry on. The pain was so bad and the sounds were so painful and striking. And I asked the Lord, I said to him, Lord, I don't think I can go on like this. And he said, no. And here I stand. Uh, sometimes when we drive over Afton Mountain, I'll break out into tears because shoots of pain are there. Flying in an airplane takes weeks of recovery. I've asked him many times, Lord, would you heal my ears? And he said no. We had uh, neighbors move in. We have neighbors moving in recently, and uh, they're a young family. And the woman and her husband were overseas missionaries uh, several years ago. And while they were overseas, he was diagnosed with cancer. And she has three little boys and this diagnosis. And the other day I was mowing the lawn and I was watching. They're right next door to us now. What a blessing for us. And I was watching them move in and do some work in the house. And I started to imagine what that plane flight home must have been like for her. I wondered how that went. Here, Lord, we're overseas. We're serving you. We've left our home to serve you. And now we have to come back to the United States uh, because of this cancer diagnosis. We've been faithful to you. And I can picture her on that plane flight saying, Lord, I don't know what I'll do if you take my man from me. I don't think I can make it. Heal him. And God said, no. And so this single mom with three teenage-ish boys are moving in, and I watched them, and I watched the joy on her face, and I thought, I wonder how that happened. How did she get to this moment after the pain that she'd been through? I wonder about you. Lord, I can't make it another day with this back pain. Heal me. I can't go on. Lord, if my boy has autism or my girl really is downs, I don't know if we can make it. Uh, Lord, Father, I just can't handle another miscarriage. Lord, it's May 2020. I prayed and asked you if I could just see my dad in the nursing home, just hold his hand in the nursing home. 
And so far, no. What do you do with that? What do you do in your life when you have prayed those kind of prayers, meaningfully, honestly, desperately, and God has said no? How did you make it? How are you here? Seth Haynes is an author who calls this whole idea the shape of pain and scarcity. And he writes, In my childhood, I was carried to a faith healer. Maybe he didn't know he was hawking snake oil, but he hawked it nonetheless. Promising if I had enough faith, God would deliver me from asthma. Maybe unravel and recode my DNA. I prayed along with him, carried faith as only a child could. But then, the healing didn't come. And what took the place of that healing? The existential pain of unanswered faith. I read between the lines the way all children do. My faith was not enough. My experience of God was not enough. I was not enough. How, how do you survive that? How do you get through that? The question that overarches this series called Enough is Enough is, is God enough for you? And that's an important question, but I think there's a deeper question. And to get at that question, I'd like to take you back to the midweek session, we've been, uh, Pastor Adrian's been leading us every Wednesday night in midweek. And on May 13th, uh, Pastor Adrian took 10 questions about this series, Enough is Enough, and he answered them on midweek. And I thought his answer to the first question was really revealing and interesting. The question was, why are we doing this series now? With everything we've been through together, everything that's going on around us, why now? And I want to play his brief answer. And as you listen to it, listen to a word that he says three times in the span of a minute. Listen to that word because I think it prompts a deeper question. So question number one is simply this. Why this series now? Why the timing with what's going on uh, happening in our community, in our world. And again, if you didn't watch Sunday, we started a series called Enough is Enough, and it really is centered around one question, is God enough for you? And man, the reason this series, first of all, for me, is because I've heard the voice of the Lord, I've heard the Holy Spirit ask me that question in recent weeks, as my foundation has been shaken, as I'm feeling uncertain about so many things, I've sensed the Holy Spirit ask me that question and it's challenging me because I wanna say, yes, you are enough, but then I see so many areas of my life where I'm not yet trusting him, where I'm putting my hope and trust in other things. So why this series for such a time as this? First of all, because I feel like the Lord wants me to grow in this area of trust. But I think for us on so many different levels, yes, financial, but even more than that, what does it mean that we find our sufficiency in Christ alone, that he is enough for us. Did you hear the word? Three times, trust. So the question, is God enough for you, is really, do you trust him? Do you trust him no matter what? We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 12. Uh, you'll see it in your version event. You can open your Bibles. 2 Corinthians 12. Six, uh, The church at Corinth is a difficult place. It is a 
church that's growing but surrounded by secularism, surrounded by humanism as Rome is trying to rebuild this metropolitan city. And Paul had some troubles with Corinth. He was constantly correcting them. In fact, in one place he says, I wrote to you with great distress. So it's a trouble. He's often solving problems in Corinth. And I think that's what he's doing in this text. 2 Corinthians 12, 6 through 10. Even if I should choose to boast, Paul's in the middle of a discussion about boasting. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations. In essence, he's saying, look, I could boast in my credentials, but I won't. Now, why is boasting even an issue here? Because that's the culture they were surrounded in. This is a secular culture where credentials were everything. And every governor and every prefect and every leader followed the lead of wicked Emperor Nero. And credentials, bragging, boasting, whether the credentials were accurate or not, they boasted. And the people of Corinth probably saying, how come we can't boast? We hear it all the time. And Paul's saying, I could be like they are. Yes, I could boast. But then he says something in the middle of verse 7 that is critically important. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. It's the only time we see that phrase in the Bible. The only time we see that word, that idea. A thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times... I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, this is a strange text. It may not be strange to us because we're used to it, but this would really jump off the page, the grammar, the language, the approach. And so you have to ask yourself, why is Paul telling them this? It seems out of the blue. Why is all of a sudden he talking about this thorn in the flesh? And, you know, I've always thought when I hear thorn, I think a little rosebush thorn. A nuisance. But that's not what he's talking about here. Thorn is really an unfortunate translation because the word scallops means stake. Think big, sharp, wooden, raw stake thrust into your ribs and twisted. That's the idea here with thorn. It's a stake. We aren't told what the thorn is, but the language means pain. The language means suffering, a little message from Satan. We don't know what it is. A lot of people have speculated. Maybe Paul had chronic migraines, spine pain. Some say he had debilitating eye pain and problems or recurring malaria. Maybe it was relationship. Maybe he was betrayed. But we aren't told what his thorn was. We just know it's painful, and we just know he begged God to take it from him. But you wonder, why would he bring up the whole issue of thorn in the first place, and not tell us what it was. Well, I think we know that. Because he doesn't want it to be about his pain, his thorn. He wants it to be about ours. And if he labeled it, we would say, well, okay, well, that just deals with that, not my pain. The specific thorn is not the problem or the point. The point is what God did not do and why he didn't do it. Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, 
My great, you know what's odd about that? Normally, that would be good news. In any other context, if someone said, my grace is sufficient, that's good news. But the way Paul uses it, you know what it is? It's no. And so that's weird the way that's his phrase, and it makes us think about it. Because he says, my grace is sufficient for you. Normally, that would be good, but it's a way of saying, I'm not going to grant your prayer this time. I'm saying no. My grace is sufficient for you. But then, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Now, there's a concept that would have been new. Boast about weaknesses. So that, here comes the point of the whole idea. So that Christ's power may rest on me. So that Christ's power, think about that. So that Christ's power may rest on me. What does God do about Paul's thorn? Nothing. No, maybe everything. I had a student who told me a story about something she experienced in high school, and I I asked her to write it to me in a letter, and she did, and I want to share it with you. She writes, Dr. Charette, my boyfriend of three years broke up with me the summer of my junior year. I prayed desperately, begging God to bring him back to me. The God I thought I loved was silent. I wasted a year of my life mad at God and the whole world. My boyfriend started dating my friend, and still God did nothing. Then my dad sent me that scripture, my grace is enough. And my response was, I don't want your grace. I want my boyfriend back. And I stopped. I heard those words in my head, I don't want your grace. And I immediately shut my mouth. No, no, Father, I want your grace. I want your power to be made great in my weakness. And she writes, a flood of praise came out of me. I knew then that God hadn't been doing nothing. He had been restoring my heart by his great grace, just waiting for me to turn home. When we ask God to do something and he doesn't do it, we're tempted to say he did nothing. But you know we're wrong about that. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient. The Greek is arche. My grace is enough for you. My grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power, so that Christ's power may rest on me. I wonder what that looks like in the supernatural world when we are going through a suffering and a thorn and we're faithful and Christ's power rests on us. And then the big finish. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. And I don't think that's hyperbole. I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Pick your thorn. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So that's the question. Is God enough for you? And will you trust him 
really? The difficulty with that question is you can't really answer whether you will trust them until you must. Think about the times in your life when you said, Lord, if you don't do this, I won't make it. I can't handle it if you don't fix this. And he said no. But here you are, in your living room, in your kitchen, in your car, in your office. Here you are, blessed with another day. How'd you make it? I've said that to him. I'm not going to make it if, and if didn't happen, and here I am. This privilege and honor to be with you on a Sunday morning. How does that work? How do we walk through these things? How did my neighbor make it? The short answer is God's enough. The longer answer is his grace is activated by your thorn. His grace is activated by your thorn. We See, we tend to think of grace only as mercy and forgiveness. And that's true, but grace is much more than that. In fact, the word grace really only says a little bit about mercy. It says more about joy and power, charis, and I like this one, defender. If you need a synonym for grace in the midst of a thorn, think of this. Jesus is my defender. Grace is kind of the splash of God in the pain of life. It's the color of God in a black and white world. I remember uh, I was in the Marine Corps and I was stationed on an aircraft carrier. And I, I was probably some of the loneliest times in my life. I was just lonely. And I remember vividly one night, we were out literally in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and I'm on this huge aircraft carrier and it's nighttime, kind of twilight. And in the evening time and at night, an aircraft carrier switches its lighting so the lighting is amber. It's not white light, all the lights are amber uh, so it isn't easily seen and so it casts this sort of yellow sort of haze around the ship. And I remember thinking, I was over the railing, there's a chain between me and the ocean, and I looked and I said, I wonder what it'd be like if I just jumped in. Now, I was a believer, and I said, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I'm suffering. I'm lonely. Where are you? And like from a movie, two dolphins came shooting up out of the water and because of the way the color came off the aircraft carrier and the sunset in the back, they left a trail of rainbow droplets. Never seen anything like it in my life. And two dolphins, up together, out of the ocean, bright colored droplets. They went back in, and I never saw them again. Grace. A little glimpse of color in our black and white world. It's restoring power. It's Christ's power resting on you. It's Christ carrying you. It's the poem you've heard a hundred times. One night I dreamed a dream. I was walking along the beach with the Lord and across the dark thundering sky above the waves flashed scenes from my whole life. For each scene I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonging to me and one belonging to my Lord. And after the last scene of my life flashed, I looked back at the footprints, 
And I noticed that many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest, very darkest times, there was only one set of footprints. That troubled me. And so I asked, Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you would always be with me. But I noticed that in those hard times, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. When I needed you the most, you would leave me. And he whispered, child, I love you and I'll never leave you. Never, ever during your pain and your trials. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was because then I was carrying you. That's grace. Grace, that's enough. Grace, your defender. Grace, the power of Christ resting on you. Wow. You know, you never, as a believer, you never have to look back on any hardship, including the pandemic of 2020. You never have to look back at any hardship and wonder, I wonder how I made it through that. I wonder how we got here. I wonder what happened. How did Pam and I endure Suzanne's early diagnosis? Our daughter uh, was diagnosed early with a disease that may have taken her life. It didn't, praise the Lord. But God didn't heal her of the disease. How did we get through that? You never have to wonder that because I'll tell you why and how. God's grace was sufficient for you. You may not have always felt you're being carried. You may not have always realized grace was operating, but it's why you walked through even the valley of the shadow of death. As I close, I got to thinking of some well-known thorns, people who have suffered a great deal. And I thought it'd be interesting to look at thorns from someone who's had a pretty public Thorn, and I want to share a little bit of a story from someone that some of you know very well. Others are about to learn her story for the first time. This teenage girl from Baltimore who became a preacher, a writer, a singer, a warrior in the faith, and a great thorn bearer. Just a few weeks after high school graduation, as I was preparing to head off to college, my sister Kathy invited me to go to the beach for a swim. I swam out to this raft, athlete that I was, I didn't even touch bottom, hoisted myself up onto it and then took this really stupid dive into what ended up being extremely shallow water. I snapped my head back when I hit bottom and it crunched my fourth cervical vertebrae, severing my spinal cord. There I was lying face down in the water, desperately hoping that my sister Kathy would please notice that I had not surfaced from my dive. Unbeknownst to me, her back was turned to me. She didn't even see me take that dive, but a crab bit her toe. And it so startled her that she quick turned around in the water screamed to me, Johnny, watch out for crabs. And when she did, she saw my blonde hair floating on the surface. I was face down, ready to drown. She came swimming quickly, pulled me up out of the water, and I never, I never was so grateful for fresh air. She saved me, but for what purpose, for what reason? Because now, lying there in a hospital, doctors told me I was going to have to sit down for the rest of my life 
as a quadriplegic without use of my legs or even my hands. My hands don't work. And I remember thinking, God, is this, is this your idea of an answer to a prayer to be drawn closer to you? If it is, you're never going to be trusted with another one of my prayers again. I mean, I'm a new Christian. How could you have taken me so seriously? I sank into deep depression. I remember there were wonderful Christian friends who came to the hospital and they encouraged me. And one Bible verse they shared was from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, where God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans not to harm you, but to help you, plans to prosper you and to give you a hopeful future. God, you, you mean you plan not to harm me? Well, what do you call quadriplegia, huh? What's that all about? As I read that verse and the context around it, I realized something, that when God said that, he was saying it to his children who were being dragged away into captivity by the Babylonians. They were going to exile, they were going into slavery. They had decades in front of them of hard, awful suffering. And I began to see that God's plans for a hopeful future for me was not necessarily jumping up, dancing, kicking, doing aerobics, running, walking, getting back use of my arms and my legs. No, God's plans for me go far deeper, a deeper healing, a precious healing of the soul. Because as I was pushed into the arms of God every morning, and that's the truth, even to this day, don't be thinking I'm an expert at quadriplegia, but as it was then in the hospital and as it is today, every morning I wake up saying, Jesus, I can't do this thing called life. Please help me. Please show up, give me your smile, give me your strength, because I can't make it through the day. And because I go to God with that earnest dependency and requirement of his grace every single day, I take that back, no, every single moment, I experience the sweetest, most precious, most intimate, union with Jesus Christ. In closing, let me just say that quadriplegia, 46 years of it, that's a long time. I deal with chronic pain. I, um, I had breast cancer a couple of years ago and I remember, I remember as my husband was driving me home in the van from chemotherapy one day, we were talking about how suffering is like little splashovers of hell, kind of like waking us up out of our spiritual slumber. And then we were pulled in the driveway and he said, well, then what do you think splashovers of heaven are? Are they those easy, breezy, bright times where everything's going your way, where you have health? And we said, no. Splashovers of heaven are finding Jesus in your splashover of hell. And to find Jesus in your hell is ecstasy beyond compare. And I wouldn't trade it for any amount of walking in this world. I'll take that as a definition of grace, little splashovers of heaven. God's grace is activated by your thorn. You know thorn bearers like Johnny. You probably are a thorn bearer, different thorns, but one nonetheless. But if you know the one who wore a whole crown of them, 
His power rests on you. He is enough. He is your everything. Thank you again so much for listening today. Email us at info at for any questions about our church. As soon as you're finished listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.